Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. As always, I'm JT, and each week, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. When you think of Transylvania, what comes to mind? Is it Vlad the Impaler? Dracula? Vampires? Werewolves? In those old black and white films that probably spring to mind, I'm sure you can picture a dark and forbidding forest, am I right? What if I told you such a haunted forest exists and it's right in the heart of Transylvania? Join me tonight as I take you on a tour of the downright creepy Hoyabachu Forest. But first, I have a few quick shout-outs and also some general business to cover over before I get to the news of the damned. First and foremost, uh, I've got a new microphone that I'm experimenting with, so please bear with me, folks. If there's any issue with sound quality or it just doesn't sound right, you can always drop me a line at uh, theparanormalsun at gmail.com, or you can go over to the Instagram page and send me a message, or you can send me a voicemail from the Anchor podcast website. Now, um, first off, I would really like to thank you all, um, all my loyal listeners. It really means the world to me, and it's been amazing to see that you enjoy what I do. The support and the kind words that I've, I've been given, really amazing, and it really warms my heart, so thank you for that. Um, if you haven't already, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you would go and follow the show on Instagram. So that's The Paranormal Sun. Uh, it's also a great way for you to see some of the photos and uh, items that I discuss on the program. So head over there and check it out if you haven't had a chance. There's also a link from the Anchor Podcast homepage if if uh, you can't remember the name of the show over there on Instagram. Now, I'd also like to welcome two new listeners. Uh, one is Kate in the UK and one is Mike in Michigan. I really appreciate you listening and uh, I always do my best to... Uh, Follow any listener suggestions, any anything you'd like to know or, or want me to investigate, let me know, and I'll look into it for future shows. Now, I also wanted to give a shout-out to the team at The Haunted Nation. So this is a team that's based in the Gold Coast in Australia, and uh, they're a team of uh, ragtag ghost hunters exploring haunted and abandoned locations across Australia. They've been so kind as to reach out to me and support The, par- the Paranormal Sun, so uh, go and check them out if you have a chance. They've also got a uh, YouTube page, and they'll be adding some more content to that as time goes on. But um, their page on Instagram is Haunted Nation Official. Uh, I've also got some possible collaborations in the works, so I'll make sure to let you folks know as, uh, as and when I get any of these collaborations up and running. Some of them may be on my program, some may be on other people's programs. So yeah, just uh, watch this space basically. So with all of that out of the way, uh, now we'll get over to the news of the damned. And for those of you who haven't listened to the program before, Charles Fort, who is one of the founders of the paranormal movement and uh, one of the real uh, pillars of uh, paranormal and unexplained, he referred to any data that had been excluded from science or ignored as damn data. So when I say the news of the damned, it's basically things that don't fit in with the, the general paradigm. So the first one here is from Sky News, uh, sky.com, and as always, I'll have links to these in the show notes. And this one is uh, titled, U.S. Military Jet Head Encounter with Silver UFO the Size of a Suitcase. Uh, Emily Mee is the news reporter, and this was published on Thursday, the 14th of May. 
New details have been released about encounters between U.S. Navy aircraft and unidentified aerial phenomenon, which is the new Navy term for UFOs or flying objects. After the Pentagon declassified three videos last month, Hazard reports from the Navy's Safety Center, first published by the website Drive, reveal an incident where a pilot encountered an unknown aircraft, which was approximately the size of a suitcase and silver in color. During the encounter in March of 2014, a Navy jet passed within 1,000 feet of the object. Uh, For my listeners who use the metric system, that's around 300, 320 meters, but could not work out the identity of the aircraft. The pilot attempted to regain visual contact with the aircraft, but was unable, the report said. The documents follow the release of three short videos recorded by Navy pilots in November 2004 and January 2015. So for those of you who have been following these uh, UFO topics, um, these are out there. One was the Roosevelt and, I'm sorry, I can't remember the other aircraft carrier, the Nimitz. Uh, That was the other one. So... uh, It has recently been announced by the Pentagon in the middle of a global pandemic, no less, that uh, there are UFOs that they've been unable to explain, and it's not doctored footage. It's real footage. It comes from the Navy, and they can't explain what some of these objects are. Uh, I do kind of find it quite interesting, the timing. However, it is a far cry from the old days of the military, which would explain all of these things away as mass hallucinations or uh, people drinking moonshine or swamp gas. So, look, it is a step in the right direction. And hopefully one day, hopefully before I pass away, we'll at least know what the government knows. So it says, in one video, a dark circular object is seen flying in front of a jet while another shows a small object speeding over land. The final video clip shows a circular object moving quickly before appearing to slow down. A voice in one of the videos can be heard saying, there's a whole fleet of them. Uh, Again, that just harkens back to last week's program that I did about the Farmington UFO Armada, uh, where literally hundreds of these objects were seen in the sky. So again, I find this quite a fascinating case, and I'll have links uh, in the show notes. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a good article. The next one is also from Sky. And this one is a bit of a tie-in to one of the articles I've already done, which is basically about people seeing more ghosts during uh, quarantine uh, for the coronavirus. So this one is titled, Coronavirus, Man Forced to Isolate Alone in Ghost Town with Murderous Past After Being Snowed In. And the byline says, Brent Underwood says he is definitely socially isolating after being trapped in a remote town he says seems to be haunted. Uh, So this is by Richard Williams, and this came out Sunday the 18th of April. So a man who bought a ghost town with a sinister pass has been forced to quarantine there after a snowstorm left him trapped. Brent Underwood says he has been resorting to melting snow for water after his week-long stay in Cerro Gordo, California. I've heard of this place was unexpectedly and significantly prolonged by nationwide coronavirus lockdown measures. He told Sky News he had arrived during good weather a month ago, but that four consecutive days of snow had left him stuck there in solitude ever since. I think one morning I woke up and I saw that the snow was over my truck, and I thought, what have I gotten myself into, he said. I managed to calm myself down by the following day and decided I would just use my time here productively. I'm definitely socially isolating at least. Having bought the former silver mining town for 1.1 million pounds, 1.4 million US dollars in 2018, he had mainly left it in the hands of full-time caretaker of 21 years, Robert Damaris. 
But as restrictions designed to curb the spread of COVID-19 began, the 32-year-old marketer agreed to take over upkeep of the 400-acre space for a week while Mr. Desmaris visited Arizona to check on his wife. It is 26 miles from the nearest grocery store. That's about 40 kilometers. But four feet of snow means traveling any further than a few hundred yards is currently impossible. And despite previously being a skeptic, Mr. Underwood said his experiences during his time alone in the 22-building town had led him to believe rumors it is haunted. He said the town had once been the subject of an episode of the, U- of the TV show Ghost Hunters, which concluded it was haunted by the ghosts of two children who died after being trapped in a closet. He said, apart from the ghosts and, many, and maybe a few bobcats, I'm alone, so I've been having visitors, but not necessarily welcome ones. So yeah, the first thing I think of when I read a story like this is um, the movie The Shining. Um, I wouldn't really want to be trapped alone in a ghost town with uh, all that bad weather out in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, quite interesting. He says, I've heard some strange sounds and I had a book fall off a shelf for no apparent reason. Having said that, I've never really felt under the threat from any of the spirits. So maybe we've found a way to coexist peacefully. I'm definitely open-minded about it all now. While he has no more fresh food, such as bread or vegetables, Mr. Underwood said he had enough rice and tin goods to survive until conditions allowed travel in and out of the town. So yeah, that's quite a little interesting story. And again, I'll have a link in the show notes so you can read some more on that. Um, yeah, it, uh, again, it is interesting some of the articles that are out there and some of the things that um, have been seen during this, uh, you know, for most places in the world, two-month quarantine. Uh, so here's the third and final article of the News of the Dam today. Now, this is from the mirror.co.uk, and this one is titled, Man Claims to Have Found Entrance to Underground Alien Base on Google Earth. Scott Waring, a UFO researcher who runs the ET Database uh, YouTube channel, claims he found the entrance to an underground alien base on an uninhabited island in Indonesia. Now, this is by Luke Matthews, and uh, this was published on the 20th of May. A UFO hunter has claimed he discovered what he believes could be the entrance to an alien base after spotting an odd formation on Google Earth. Scott Waring, who runs a YouTube channel and website called ET Database, says the particular shape is located on a small and uninhabited island in Indonesia. He says he believes it to be a doorway to an underground alien base, as it doesn't fit in with its environment and it is in a secluded location where, quote, aliens would love to have a hidden base. Well, Scott, there are lots of places that I'm sure aliens would love to have a hidden base, um, and an island in Indonesia sounds just as good as any. Using a tool on Google Earth, he measured the opening to find it was 20 meters across. For those of you in the U.S., that's about 60 feet across, which he says is big enough to get a lot of alien ships in there. You can check it out for yourself on Google Earth by searching the coordinates 1 degree 1342 south, uh, 129 48 49 east. And again, I'll have a link in the show notes if uh, you want to look it up on Google Earth. Writing about the discovery on his website, Scott says, I found an entrance to an underground base on a secluded island in Indonesia. The doorway can easily be seen with Google Earth Map, and when you add contrast to a screenshot, the detail really comes out. Now, there have been many claims like this over the years, folks, and um, honestly, as as always on this program, I try to leave the decision-making up to yourselves. I try to present the uh, facts as they are, and I try to allow you to make up your own mind. But um, 
I will say there are lots of very interesting things to be found on Google Earth. There have been a few things that I myself thought, yeah, right, and then I've gone and had a look and found them quite interesting. So, you know, as the saying goes, don't be afraid to do your own research. That's one of the key things uh, to all of this uh, field, the paranormal, the unexplained. You know, uh, fact-checking is one thing, but, you know, just also going and finding out what's out there. Oftentimes with cases like this, you will find that uh, many sites link to each other and the same story is repeated over and over. So sometimes it's not that easy, but it is quite good to do if you can. Now, before I get into tonight's main subject about the Hoyabachu Forest, uh, I've been amiss in some of the last few episodes to do a good job at letting you know uh, what's in the pipeline as far as uh, upcoming episodes. So I'll cover it over again at the end of this episode, but uh, the next episode I'll be doing is another UFO case. Now, this one is one that's always fascinated me. It's not a well-known one, but it's extremely interesting, and I think that you'll enjoy it. So this one is uh, on the Veronese uh, incident in 1989 in the USSR. Now, this UFO case, uh, as I say, most people haven't heard of it, uh, but trust me, it's one of the most fascinating cases you'll ever hear about. Uh, on an excitement level of 1 to 10, this one's a 12, so make sure that you look out for that one. Uh, you know, as I've been saying, uh, I try and get at least one good episode out to you a week. Uh, lately, I've managed to get two out, but uh, at the very latest, uh, I'll have another one out for you next week uh, on the Veronia's case. So uh, keep keep out uh, on the, on the uh, lookout for that one. Now, when we talk about the Hoyabachu Forest... There's been so many phenomenon surrounding it, as I say. Uh, but that's Eastern Europe in general. So Eastern Europe and Romania especially have a long tradition of being some of the most paranormal and haunted areas in Europe, if not in the world. They've got a long history of folklore and tradition, which uh, permeate, permeates uh, modern culture. Uh, so... For some of you who are younger or uh, have, have, have uh, played or watched some of these programs lately, if you've played any of the Witcher games or if you watch the Witcher series on Netflix, this is almost entirely taken from Eastern European folklore. Uh, the author of the books is actually Polish, and um, he stated that a lot of that uh, folklore is meant to be in the books. So although it's not based in you know, Eastern Europe, as we know it, the countries aren't the, the same name. A lot of the terms and the use of words, names of towns and that are very similar as you would find in Eastern Europe. So um, I think that's brought a lot of people's attention to the paranormal in Eastern Europe is, uh, you know, this has been a very successful game franchise. The Witcher 3 is uh, one of the one of the best uh, RPG games out there uh, in 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 the same vein as a game like Skyrim, and I think that it has really got people into uh, into paying attention to some of these things. Now, when we discuss Romania especially, probably the most famous, uh, you know, unexplained or paranormal entity from Romania would be the vampire or vampire. Uh, now, in Romania, it's it's more along the lines of what they call a strigoi or, or a muroi. So they're two different entities, but they're very similar. And they're much more like phantoms and wizards as, uh, as opposed to your classic blood-sucking vampire. And uh, the people have lived in fear of them for a long time. Now, almost all of these things I'm going to discuss 
uh, go back in time, you know, before they were noted in Romania, they were noted in Greece. Before they were noted in Greece, some of these things were noted in Samaria. So I do find it interesting that some of these uh, creatures and uh, paranormal entities uh, carry on throughout human history, basically, as long as we've documented them. Now, of course, also, uh, it wouldn't be Romania, it wouldn't be the Carpathian Mountains and uh, Transylvania if we didn't have the werewolf. Now, uh, in, in Romania, they call it a vorkolok. There are also other kinds that are gigantic wolves. Uh, they've had a long history of dragons in this area. In fact, uh, that's one of, the, one of the many legends around uh, Vlad Tepes or uh, the historical Dracula is, is around him being from the Order of the Dragon. Now, one of the more interesting ones from a Western perspective, because a lot of people wouldn't have heard of these, as I mentioned in earlier shows about Baba Yaga, which is a Eastern European entity from based from Bulgaria. But in Romania especially, you have Mama Padroia. So Mama Padroia is similar to a witch or an old crone. Uh, Mama Padroia lives in the forest and spends her time uh, brewing potions. Um, but the thing about Mama Padroia is she's not actually harmful. She's more of a neutral spirit. She only harms you if you harm the forest. And she encourages the forest to regrow when it's been over-harvested or all of the trees have been cut down. So, so that is something that really permeates Eastern European uh, folklore, is uh, this idea of Mama Pedroia, the spirit of the woods that uh, protects the woods and also helps them regrow. Now, also in Romania, one of the most famous stories is of Urias, which are giants. Now, again, as with so many stories around the world, it's believed that uh, these giants had battles with mankind, and they forced God to flood the world. So the story of Noah, the biblical story of the flood, uh, I know that that story has been found in at least 200 cultures, and I want to say more like four or 500 around the world. So all differing stories, differing names. Uh, in Sumeria, um, you know, there was a different name, uh, and I know the Aztecs and the Mayans, uh, a lot of Native American tribes all have this tradition that the world was flooded at one point to destroy these evil giants. So, again, I find it quite fascinating that here in the Carpathian Mountains of all places, we've got uh, another flood story. So, yeah, that's, that's another quite interesting piece of Romanian folk folklore. Now, Romania also has its share of hauntings, especially haunted castles. I found uh, anywhere from 15 to 20 uh, well-known haunted castles in Romania. So, yeah, I mean, you, you go there, you look at the backgrounds, you know, you look at the wilderness uh, in the movies and in television, and you can see, uh, you take that and you add haunted castles, and um, yeah, that's something that would, uh, would scare the daylights out of most of us. Now, zoning in on Hoyabaku Forest. Now, Hoyabaku Forest has also gained names such as Romania's Area 51 and the Romanian Bermuda Triangle. Now, you'll soon find out why as I go into a bit more detail as to some of the things that have happened. But Hoyabaku Forest itself is located just outside of Cluj-Napolka, which is the second largest city in Romania. It's a city of about 325,000, and uh, the forest is only five or six kilometers away. Now, Cluj-Napolka uh, has been around for at least 800 years, but people have settled in the area for thousands of years, right back to Roman times. Now, the forest itself, amazingly, is quite small. 
It only covers about 3 square kilometers or 1.2 square miles. So it's actually not much bigger than a large domain in a lot of cities. Um, and I didn't know that until I did the research for the show. So it, for all of this paranormal activity to be packed into such a small area is quite daunting because, you know, you talk about places like the Bermuda Triangle, for example. It's thousands of miles, um, thousands of square miles at sea. Uh, you take some of the other anomalous zones around the world, they're quite large in comparison. So it's quite interesting that all of this is packed into such a small area. Now, as for the actual name of Hoyabaku, the legend goes that it's named from a shepherd who entered the forest with 200 sheep, and he never came out again. The people who lived in the area searched for him for several weeks, but they never found him. They never found any of the sheep. They didn't find any of their bones. It was like they just disappeared from the face of the earth. Residents of the nearby towns and villages passed down verbal stories from their ancestors that claim that the forest itself is a portal, and those who pass through may never return. Orbs of light with different colors are seen, disembodied voices, feelings of being watched, Nausea, migraines, and strong thirst are all also experienced. People have also experienced burns, scratches, and overwhelming anxiety, as well as a feeling of extreme dread. A strange black fog has been seen repeatedly, as well as a white fog, and locals say that when these fogs are seen, the portal to another world is opened. Deep in the forest is the most mysterious part, and it seems to be the center of the paranormal activity. In the center of the forest is this circular plateau. It's named Poyana Rotunda. In English, it's gotten to have the name of the dead zone. And the reason is that nothing grows in this circle except for grass. Now, the soil has been examined. Scientists have taken it away and examined it in labs. And they found absolutely no reason why trees, bushes, and other things shouldn't be able to grow in the soil. But for whatever reason, they don't. It's, it's, it's quite stunning. And I'll put a photo of this up on the Instagram page. I've got some other photos up, but I'll put a photo of this clearing up so that you can see what I'm talking about. Now, oftentimes people have taken photos in the past. And when they take photos of the forest in general, later on when they develop the film, they'll see strange faces show up. Some of them are quite misty or almost look like they're ghostly. Some of them are quite clear and they're obviously of a human face. And there have been cases of people taking several hundred photos and finding these, these faces in multiple photos. So we're not talking about one in a thousand, you know. Maybe 400 photos, people are finding 20 or 30 of these uh, heads or faces. And uh, that's, that's quite eerie in and of itself. Now, in modern times, the forest really started getting its notoriety in the late 1950s and into the 60s. There was a biologist named Alexandro Siff, and he had heard some of these stories and urban legends of the forest. The major story behind the forest and why it's got all of this paranormal activity going on is that many years ago, there were th hundreds and thousands of peasants that were killed in the forest and their spirits now inhabit the forest. So Alexandru decided that he wanted to see what was going on and use a bit of scientific method. So he went into the forest and he took several photos of a flying disc that seemed to be tailing him, and especially in this dead zone, the circle in the middle of the forest. He also took several photos of what he referred to as umbrellas. Now these look like um, a bell or 
even the top of some of the basilicas and that that you'll see in Eastern Europe, the onion-shaped domes, but they seem to have portholes in them. And these are really fascinating photos. There are a few of them around. Now, again, SIF took thousands and thousands of photos in the forest and surrounds. And for all of those photos, he allegedly had hundreds of photos of these disembodied faces in, in the photographs. But when he died in 1993, uh, most of the photographs and other evidence that he had disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Now, in 1993, Romania was no longer under communist rule. But uh, it's rumored that the secretariat, which was the secret police, had a hand in these photos disappearing. So people who used to be in the secretariat uh, making these photos and evidence disappear. And it is quite, um, quite unfortunate that there's not more of these photos around. There are a handful. There are about 10 that you'll find in any online search that are quite good. But apparently there were hundreds and thousands of photos that unfortunately we'll probably never see. Now, on August 18th of 1968, a military technician named Emil Barnia captured a world-famous photo of a, of a saucer flying over the, this central uh, plateau or clearing in the forest. Now, Barnia was camping with his girlfriend and another couple, so four people in total, and he said that he was in or near his tent. And he, he felt a very strange emotional wave wash over him. He had a really strange episode. He felt dizzy, and he started crying for no reason. So he decided that he wanted to go for a walk and clear his head. So he walked out to the clearing, and he said that he, he watched this disc slowly flying over the forest. It was making no sound, and it started glowing. So he observed it for several seconds. Uh, but luckily, he had the presence of mind to take three photos. Now, these photos are some of the clearest photos of UFOs anywhere in the world and definitely the clearest in Romanian history. And again, I've got one of these photos up on the Instagram page, but uh, I'll add some others. And these are really uh, brilliant photos. Now, the interesting thing about uh, Barnia and his story, and what's so fascinating about it, is that at the time of his sighting, as I say, Romania was under the rule of Nicolae Ceausescu, who was a communist strongman. And he ruled with an iron fist. Now, not only at that time were any books or magazines of UFOs allowed in Romania, so they were all banned, uh, the government also treated anyone that claimed that they saw such things as not only being mentally unbalanced, but they considered them a threat to the country. So, eventually, not only did Barnia lose his job uh, in a country with no form of support, so there was no unemployment, no welfare to support him, he was also watched and intimidated by the dreaded Securiat. So, as I say, this is basically this was the Romanian communist equivalent of the KGB. Uh, experts looked at these photos uh, in the West because, as I say, he took these photos to the newspapers. The newspapers released them. So, Western ufologists saw these. So, experts looked at the photos and the negatives, and they could find zero evidence that he tampered tampered with the photos or that there was a hoax. And again. If this man perpetrated a hoax, what did he have to gain? He gained nothing, and he lost everything. He lost his job. He lost his career. He had the state police following him around, and he didn't make any money because even if he wanted to write a book about UFOs, it was banned by the government at the time. So, again, I find his – at least him believing in what he saw and his credibility to be uh, you know, very high level because, again, he risked everything to make sure that these were published. Now, going into some of the other stories about the forest, 
There was a story uh, from one local guide that he said he slept in the forest at night once, <laughs> and only once. He said that him and some other guides had set up tents, and they would hear heavy hoof, hoof steps outside. So it sounded like horse or deer. So they opened the tents, they would go out and they would have a look around, but they couldn't see anything. They couldn't find anyone. They couldn't find any hoof prints. Um, and when they would go back in the tents, it would start again. So he said he's, he spent a very sleepless night in the forest. And after this, he would never go in there again after dark. He'll go in. He might take people on a tour, but he definitely won't spend the night. Now, boars are in this area, so wild boars are in Romania. However, again, he said these hoof prints sounded a much larger animal. And also, when they went out and looked for prints, they could find no prints, only the sounds. Now, one of the most fascinating things about the forest is the trees themselves. So the trees grow in a spiral format uh, or a clockwise pattern. They also grow in zigzag patterns, and some of them will grow horizontally so they'll bend over and grow along the side they won't grow up and down as you would expect now again these trees have been analyzed by scientists and they can find no rational reason to explain why they grow in the way that they do there's no no residual radiation there's nothing there to explain this Generally, for something like this, you would have uh, radiation involved, but they found no instances of radiation. Uh, also, in the circle, in the forest, in the meadow, there's no traces of radiation there either. Uh, now, some of these orbs have been observed by people with uh, heat scopes and uh, night vision equipment, and they don't seem to have any warmth to them. When, when you look at them with a thermal imaging scope, they come up blank. You don't see them. Whereas if you were looking at a person, for example, you would see the heat. Uh, I'm sure most of you have seen these uh, in a movie like Predator where you can see an, uh, an animal or creature, anything that's warm-blooded, you can see the heat against the background. But these orbs don't appear to have any type of thermal heat to them. So it's, it's quite fascinating. And again, these orbs have been seen in multiple colors, white, green, blue, red. Now, over the years, uh, according to the locals, they claim that over the years since the initial shepherd disappeared, there have been over a thousand people that have disappeared in the forest. So let's just be kind with our assertions. And let's say the, let's say the shepherd went into the forest 800 years ago, you know, at the time of the founding of Cluj-Napolka. Cluj now, at that time, uh, you know, if we take that out through the years, that's over a person a year that's disappeared in this forest that's only, you know, 1.2, 1.3 miles square. That's quite a, a, a daunting fact. Now, again, this is hearsay amongst the locals, so there's no documentation regarding this, but still I, I find it quite fascinating. Now, the, the common belief, as I say, among the locals and the oral tradition passed down to the villagers in the area is that the spirits of murdered peasants are the ones who haunt the forest. And this is the reason why people get such terrible uh, feelings of nausea and uh, fear and uh, trepidation, and they don't want to go into the forest. Now, there have also been several sightings of ghosts in traditional peasant garb by different visitors. There's one story that I read online about hikers being out and seeing a strange old man hobbling on one leg. He looked very odd. They thought he was a villager from the one of the nearby villages, 
he asked them where, which way to Cluj-Napoca. So they pointed out to him the tracks where there were some four-wheel drive, you know, tracks in the road, and they thought, oh, that would be easy. He won't get lost. Now, they had left some other friends back at a camp in the clearing, in the central circle clearing of the forest. Now, they claimed that this man never came past. They never saw him. They never heard him. So, you know, take what you will from that. Um, it could be a story. It may be true. But nonetheless, you know, that's a possibility that uh, you've had a spirit or some type of uh, otherworldly entity that has passed through and that these people have seen it. Now, many visitors have also claimed that they've seen green eyes looking at them from the dark. Um, you can't explain these all the way by being uh, deer. However, you know, I do realize that people's nerves are extremely peaked when they're in this forest. But I do find it quite interesting. There have also been reports and stories of people seeing shadowy beings or cryptids. Now, uh, uh, the, uh, the gentleman from the 1950s, um, sorry, just turning it back over here to see it. Uh, so, yeah, Sif. Sif claimed that he was followed by dark shadows while he was in the forest, and he said he always felt a feeling of trepidation and dread, like something ominous was going to happen, something bad was going to happen. So again, this definitely seems to be an area where negative energy uh, permeates. Um, now, the most, uh, the most uh, famous story around the forest, besides that of the shepherd, is the story that, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, would be uh, something along the lines of a time slip, and this is the story that a five-year-old girl went missing in the forest. The local villagers looked for her for several days but never found any trace of her. Now, these stories again claim that five years later she appeared wearing the same clothing and she hadn't aged a day. Some stories say that the, the clothing was ragged. Some say that uh, she looked as though she'd just gone in the forest. But the bottom line here is that she claims to have had no memory of where she had been or what had happened. So again, that's very similar to a time slip experience. And again, this is not a, you know, there's no documentation on this. This is an oral story that's been handed down, but it's still quite uh, interesting. There have other, been other reports of other people having the same happen to them. And uh, I, I believe there was something along the lines of the locals said there have been four or five people that this has happened to, but they've all been found dead afterwards. So she's the only one who lived. Now, uh, people also report going to sleep and waking up in another part of the forest with no memory of anything happening, just going to sleep in one area and uh, appearing in another. So again, you're talking about something along the lines of teleportation if those stories are true. People visiting the area for documentaries uh, in recent years have often had problems with equipment malfunctioning and batteries draining. So again, as we've often heard around uh, paranormal sites uh, around UFOs, but also around some of these very uh, strange and anomalous areas around the world that, you know, batteries are drained or equipment malfunctions, recording equipment doesn't work or is staticky. Uh, they've, they've done EVP recording. So, you know, that's the common, um, that's the common practice in ghost hunting with a, it's called electronic voice phenomenon. And you basically record background uh, noise, um, you know, like for example, you may place a recorder and walk away. But uh, I know that a lot of the ghost hunters have, uh, you know, better equipment now than in the old days. But basically, they'll pick up things like giggling, screaming, growling, and voices. Uh, and uh, a lot of these things are also, you know, uh, in other languages. So you can't always hear what they're saying. 
There's also reports of people being shoved, tripped, hit by objects, and having things of theirs thrown. And these are all classic poltergeist traits. So again, yet another one of the phenomenon that's been experienced in the forest. Now, you may say to yourself, you know, is this real? Is this all, uh, you know, BS? Well, similar to a lot of these places around the world, a lot of the locals want nothing to do with this forest. Now, there are bike trails, and it is an area that a lot of people do go and, and uh, you know, go out and, and, get, and get out amongst nature in. But oftentimes, these people try to go out there in the day, and especially in times like autumn and winter, a lot of people avoid the forest. So, um, look, the locals treat it with a healthy dose of respect, so there's definitely something going on there in my mind. Now, the last major sighting in the forest, it seems to have waned uh, recently as far as UFOs go. But in 2002, a cigarette-shaped object that's about 50 meters long, so that's about 100 and, uh, 150 feet, uh, that was glowing was sighted for several seconds. Now, one of the most fascinating things about this forest and the surrounds is that archaeologists have found Neolithic settlements that date back to 6500 BC. So, you know, that's about 8500 years ago. They found walls, buildings, and uh, definitely signs of occupation. Uh, so most of the feelings of the scientists is that this is the longest um, or the oldest settled area in Romania that they found so far. So, so quite interesting. So yeah, I hope that you found that interesting. The Hoya Baku Forest is considered one of the top 10 haunted forests in the world. And uh, it has definitely started getting a tourist um, feel to it or vibe. There's tours you can take there. Apparently, when Nicolas Cage was in the vicinity filming, uh, shooting a film, he took a detour to go over and have a look at this forest in 2014. I've known about this forest for about 10 years, but as of late, it's really started to get well known. Uh, Josh Gates covered it on one of his shows on the Travel Channel in the U.S., so again, it's it's starting to really get a reputation. So if you're ever in Romania, if you're ever in Eastern Europe and you get a chance, folks, that might be a place that you'd like to check out. Um, I would like to go, but I definitely wouldn't want to go alone. And I would be very nervous to go after dark. Uh, so again, you know, we've got everything there. I'll leave it up to you to decide what you think it may be. Uh, as with many of these things, myths and legends are mixed with real facts. Uh, it is difficult to find out some of these things. Many of the uh, information on this subject is in Romanian, so it can be difficult to find out more uh, new things about it. But in future, as I do more shows, if I find out new stories or different kind of updates on this show, I'll make sure that I include them. So I again, I hope that you found this quite interesting. Uh, I'll definitely be returning to Romania and Eastern Europe in future. There are a lot of fascinating things there. As I say, so many people are fascinated by vampires and werewolves. I'm sure that this won't be our last stop in Romania. So aside from that, uh, again, I would like to thank you all for listening. I really appreciate you taking your time. Uh, I would again like to remind you that the next episode that I'll be doing will be on the Veronese uh, 1989 case in the USSR. Again, I think you'll find that one really fascinating. It's a little-known case, and when you hear the story of the case, you will be saying, why isn't this more well-known? Because it's extremely fascinating. It's completely different from the Farmington UFO Armada case that I covered. Uh, the tidbit that I will give you is that uh, there were beings seen and interacted with by people. So, uh, yeah, this is really an interesting case. I think you're going to enjoy it. 
So uh, as always, I'd like to sign off the show with the quote from Art Bell, which is, a mind should not be open, so open that the brain falls out. However, it should not be so closed that whatever gray matter which does reside inside may not be reached. With that, folks, I hope that you have a lovely day, a lovely weekend uh, for my listeners in the U.S. I hope that you have a great Memorial Day weekend, and don't forget the reason that uh, you're having that weekend. Don't forget about the veterans that have fought in the wars. And aside from that, everyone stay stay peaceful, safe, try and stay calm in and amongst all of this stuff with the uh, pandemic. And uh, I'll talk to you soon on the next episode.